Hello, podcast listeners. We know podcasts are a great way to catch up on a program that you may have missed on KSJE, and it's provided as a free service of this radio station. But you know, KSJE is now listener-supported, and so while you enjoy this podcast, we hope that you'll also take some time to join KSJE. Become a member today. It's quite easy to do. Just go to our website at ksje.com support and pick the level of support that best matches your budget. Thanks again for listening. Here's your podcast. Welcome back to Right on Four Corners. I'm your host, Delshree Gladden. I'm a USA Today bestselling author of over 30 published novels and a ninth grade English teacher. And on this week's episode, I'm really excited to have Utah-based author Stacey Shannon Denesosi, and we're going to be talking about her recent collection of short stories, The Missing Morning Star. Stacey, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, my name's Stacey Denesosi, and I am Navajo Dene. My clan is Tortichini, which is the Betterwater clan, so if I have any relatives out there, hey. Wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time. This was one of the books that when I reached out to Tory House Press, they recommended right off the bat. They're like, we'd, we'd really love you to read this one and talk to Stacy because this is actually one of their newest releases and you'll be coming through the Farmington area on your book tour soon. Yes. Wonderful. So we'll, we'll get into that. Don't let me forget to give out the details of the tour stops at the end to make sure people can come meet you and ask any questions and pick up copies of the book. I think especially this area being right here in, in the area of where a lot of these stories are taking place. A lot of people from the Four Corners are going to be familiar with Kayenta and a lot of the areas that you mentioned. And one of the things that I really just loved about the stories is just how honest and real they are. There's a ton I want to talk to you about, <laughs> so I'll, we'll take it one step at a time. I really enjoyed reading this, and I'm excited to talk about it. So, Stacey, let's jump in. Where did the inspiration for these short stories come from? Did you set out to write a collection of short stories, or did these get written at various times and then were put into a collection later on? my master's program at Utah State University and then I wrote the rest of it um, at the Institute of American Indian Arts and I graduated from there in, in 2021. And when it was time to get this book out there, I just combined all, this is essentially a body of all of my living work right now. <laughs> so it was really exciting when Tori House was enthusiastic to publish it because I'd been told by mentors that short story collections are usually really hard to publish. And so I'm glad that they took a chance on me. That is neat because short stories, poetry, they can be challenging to shop to publishers and agents and get their interests. They're, they traditionally in the past haven't always been you know, the most sought after, but I think that that is changing in publishing. Partly reader attention spans are shorter. <laughs> <laughs> with with social media, I think we're we're getting into that. People want, you know, short things that they can sit down and participate in for a little while and then move on to the next thing. And that's an interesting thing with poetry and short stories is that you can just kind of take it a chunk at a time when you have a few moments in your life to actually sit down and and read and invest in something like that. 
I hope that is a trend that we'll see is a little bit more interest in short stories and poetry because I think they're both a really fascinating medium that doesn't get a lot of credit sometimes. Yeah. I do want to talk about a few specific stories, but in general, tell our readers a little bit about The Missing Morning Star and other stories and just kind of some of the themes that you dive into and the overall concept of the collection so they can have an idea of what we're going to talk about. Yeah, my book confronts the long-reaching effects of settler colonialism on the Native lives of the characters in the book and all of the stories are really slice of life, very gritty, transitive in between spaces, traveling home, what the meaning of home is. And that was kind of what I was going for is I really wanted readers to come to it and see the stories as symptomatic of a larger structure. And that is settler colonialism, which set out to eliminate and erase Native peoples in North America. And a lot of my characters' lives and and the things that they deal with are really challenging, or so I'm told. Like, these stories are really heavy. But for me, they're just stories. They're They're things that I grew up with or understandings that I have about the world. So when you look at these characters' lives, I don't really want people to make value judgments on what these characters are doing or the decisions that they're making, because that exists in a context. And that's what I mean by symptomatic. They might not have access to running water or there might be issues um, with addiction or young people being promiscuous and that sort of thing. And that's symptomatic of this larger structure that removed our traditional beliefs and values and replaced them with something that isn't as solid for us. I love that explanation. Thank you. I wanted to touch on a couple things that you said. First, you say that the stories are heavy. And I I would agree with that. In the topics that are being discussed, a lot of times there is some really heavy emotions that are attached with what's going on in some of these characters' lives. But I also, like, it's not like a sad or depressing book. <laughs> I don't want people to take that away. Like, there are hard topics. It's hard things to discuss. I mean, there's alcoholism and addiction and abuse and different things that the characters face. But, like, really overall, there is still a beauty and a hopefulness to a lot of your stories. These characters working through some of what they're going through and making those attempts to understand and adjust and come to a way of of living in their world, even though things have gotten more complicated yeah yeah. I was like trying to think of just the right words (laughs) yeah because it's so challenging to to have a huge part of who an individual is on that level of the individual I mean you think this happens in a lot of ways to have some part of who you are who you see yourself as taken away and then you try to rebuild that and it takes a long time and it's a hard process to go through. And you're writing about this happening on a cultural level over hundreds of years and how complex and difficult that is. There aren't easy answers or fixes, but your characters aren't giving up. Like they keep trying. They're working through a lot of the heaviness that you talk about. And I found that to be a really beautiful aspect of the stories is that it wasn't just the dark side of things, that it was was inspirational in a lot of ways as well. Yeah, I've referred to this collection as a documentation of my resistance. And part of the reason why I refer to it that way is that I am kind of pushing against this 
understanding of Indigenous people, and then also this assumption that whatever values we had in place before were, were, were not good. And so in a lot of my stories, you'll see my characters turning to their mothers or their grandparents or their traditions as a way to kind of hit that sweet spot, that catharsis in the story so that they can move on. And that's something that I really wanted to put in there because like oftentimes we're living away from home and returning is a very difficult thing. But that's the one way that you can stand in the way of settler colonialism is you don't leave home or you return home. And that's kind of what I wanted um, my book to embody. I think one of the stories that I think really says that really well and really captures what you're just saying is the story of the casket in the back seat. I was really struck by that one. You go back and forth between two characters, a young man and his grandpa, who we get kind of bits and pieces of his life from his perspective after he has died. And it's really showing so much like the difficulty of living in two different worlds and for both of them, for the grandpa as a young man trying to balance working here in Farmington and then living and I'm trying to remember, was he in Chenley? I would have I, to look I back in Chen- <laughs> <laughs> He's living I, no, I wrote it. <laughs> but he's living, you know, in, in his traditional world and then working and and living in kind of the more modern world and struggling with striking that balance and he kind of ends up separating the two and living two different lives and then we see how that affects his family and the later generations and then I loved the structure of it going back and forth between the two characters and seeing both of them kind of uncovering the story of of their lives. I, I don't want to give the whole thing away but just kind of those realizations that that they come to as they work through that and have this spiritual experience that the young boy is not expecting and is a bit startled by. (laughs) But it helps provide him with some understanding of how his life progressed based on, you know, everything that had happened before him and how cyclical that is. You know, our decisions affect our lives, but that keeps moving forward. And it's this chain that a lot of the characters in your other stories as well, you see them working through that generational challenge of growth and adjustment and trying to find a way in in this world that has changed so drastically from what their ancestors lived. One of the other ones, you have a story in there, Wool Dolls. And this one was actually set in, in a little bit of a different area. It's up in Idaho. And this one really struck me as well. I grew up in the Mormon faith. I no longer am a part of that. But that comes into this story. It's mentioned in a few other stories as well. There's a historical and complicated connection, (laughs) to say the least, connection between the Mormon faith, but various religious faiths coming into native lands and then pushing that, the changes that came into play with those shifts, with taking away so much of what was there part of the culture and the spiritual beliefs. And this one was really interesting because you're seeing a young woman in modern times, in today's world, and she's kind of interacting with this faith. And even though she doesn't seem to be maybe fully aware of, of those connections there, she's seeing it and the impact in her life. And it brought up a lot of interesting themes, and I wanted to ask you about those. But just that mingling of culture and faith and politics and and everything that kind of 
has gotten mixed together within and not just the the Navajo nation, but this happened across the country, where mm-hmm. some of those complex divisions are and how that's changed over time. And I just wanted to yeah, just ask you a little bit more about that and some of those themes that you worked into the stories of those different intersections of culture and religion. Yeah, like I said, I studied at Utah State University, which is based in in Logan, Utah, and it's a the school is a predominantly Caucasian institution and oftentimes I was one of the only um, people of color in my classroom and usually the only native in my classroom. There was this interesting relationship with the LDS church kind of butting up against self growing up. And I had a lot of confusion about it. And Bull Dolls is the processing of that. So we have this character and she meets this Shoshone boy who's LDS and she's struggling with the fact that her grandmother has passed on and her and her mother kind of have a strained relationship. And she wants to become a woman. She she wants to behave a way a woman does in her culture. And in my culture, we have a Kinalda ceremony, which is a coming of age ceremony. And she really wants that done. But after her grandmother passes, like that knowledge is no longer there. And so she turns to what what is there in, in the media and in the West, like how does a woman become a woman? And so she goes down these different paths and, and she finds that that's not necessarily the way. And in one of those circumstances, she's, she's flirting with the Shoshone boy in her bedroom and he's kind of dancing around the topic of sex, but she's very much like keyed into it. Like, okay, like, all right. But there's this kind of tension between like his guilt and this native character feeling like they have to be responsible for this individual's guilt and it's misplaced. So that story, I just really wanted to crack it open that, I don't know, it's just such an interesting dynamic that I don't really feel like takes place anywhere else in the country (laughs) um and and then just this sense of indigenous women like we are most often to be missing and murdered this over sexualization of of indigenous women in in the world this sexualization of indigenous women from the western world and that's not necessarily what we are and we are greater than that And I wanted to include that in the story. And so at the very end, she has a conversation with her mother. And there's this very meaningful, poignant moment that they have. And I think I wanted to capture that, like, womanhood is more than than just preparing to, to be taken by a man or be married. And I wanted my character to kind of exemplify that. And then just in terms of, like, the predominant religion in Utah, there's a lot of... I think there's a lot of tension there between a lot of indigenous people to Utah and that because it was like that religion was the predominant colonizing factor in the state. And I think that that is not an easily forgotten legacy. And that's something that individuals who are native and are members of the LDS church, they have to grapple with because the history is not it's not easy. It, it's very complicated and, and nuanced. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like I said, having, having grown up in that community, it's very strange, even on, on the other side to like grow up being taught a certain version 
of history that really kind of commandeered the Native American history and worked it into this spiritual ideology. And there being like a whole other reality (laughs) that as a child, like you're just, you're not really aware of. And like, I, I can only imagine being on the other side of that you know, for me, that seemed confusing and strange. And it's just, it's hard to wrap my mind around being on the other side where you're taught your cultural history and you're participating in cultural beliefs. And then having this other spiritual identity and history that tries to, and in many instances, pushes this alternate version and trying to sort out the different aspects of culture and spirituality and identity and all of that coming together. Like that's a lot for a person, for a community, for a people to try to process and, and come to an understanding of where they're at now in today and how to fit those different pieces and parts, whether, whether being a Native American in a religious faith or following cultural practices, but being in today's modern world, which has so many conflicting ideas as well, that is not an easy world to exist in. Yeah, and uh, I think I also just wanted to capture that like ironic kind of instance in, in which she is having this conversation with with her boyfriend about going to the next space and and he places this guilt on her and it is misplaced but also there's still this underlying tension of like he wants he wants to she doesn't well she does kind of but she doesn't feel any guilt about it it's kind of like okay and and i think that that's one of the interesting dynamics that i experienced growing up in logan is just this weird understanding of like i am not a white blonde woman and so there's a sense of like you are the exception you are okay to do these things too because of such and such reason mm-hmm. um and i i wanted to infuse that into the story <laughs> I, you make it... <laughs> I said that one just really stuck out to me because you make so many really poignant points and you brought up a lot that really had me sitting there thinking and, you know, a lot of, you know, my own growing up and and looking at my daughter and just that one I really loved and appreciated that story because it, it opens up so much discussion and it brings to light like these are difficult things to work through in your own mind. And one of the other things I think that really stuck out to me was just that, that expectation that we live with, I think, especially as women, whether that comes from cultural or spiritual or societal pressures, there are so many layers of expectation that I think we struggle with as we grow into womanhood. And I know that was something like I had a hard time with. with my religious beliefs and trying to balance that with the societal views and figuring out who you are and who you want to be and, and all of that. And I really appreciated that at the end of the story, the, the conversation with the mom and being able to step out of those pressures for a minute and really just think and consider, you know, what, 
where does a person stand when they're on that that precipice of moving from childhood to adulthood and figuring out where those expectations are and what you want to move toward and what you can shift away and say, you know, that that doesn't have any claim over me. Like I can I can make those choices as to who I want to be and how I want to live my life. And because that's a that's a hard realization <laughs> to make your way toward. You know, I I think I I didn't really get to that point until I was well into adulthood of figuring some of that out for myself. So I just I I really loved that story and the way it really, I think, makes the reader think and consider and open themselves up to some of those questions. I appreciate that. <laughs> Let me ask you about one more. It's it's the last story in the book for which the, the book is um, named The Missing Morning Star. This one was another one that just, it touches on so many different themes and different ideas of just the many complicated aspects of today's world and especially the the world of your characters and their experiences um so would if you would um kind of tell our readers just a little bit what the the last story the missing morning star is about um you know like i said i don't want you to tell yeah. the whole thing for people but <laughs> just giving yeah. that little sense and then and then yeah we can chat about that a bit more because it's a wonderful story um, thank you um so the the story is about a gas station attendant named Sylvia who um, is working a late night shift and um, she is kind of thinking on her her sexuality and, and her identity and she's um, a two-spirit woman and she's reclaiming the term Dilba for her which is a masculine feminine person and her longtime crush Charmaine comes in to to buy some tobacco and as she's checking her out and as she leaves the store, she's the witness of, of a kidnapping and um, Charmaine goes missing. And the entire story, Sylvia is trying to figure out how she can help and, and then also just um, reconciling with, with these parts of her heritage and understanding her relationship to not only herself, but to Charmaine and then also to like livestock that she cares for. Thank you. Yeah, I said this one, I love that this was put at the end because it really brought in a lot of the themes that we see throughout the book and also introduces new topics that you hadn't gotten into too much, like the with sexuality and, and figuring that out both culturally and socially and how, how that fits into her world at the moment. And I really enjoyed the the two settings of the story. We have the gas station and her interaction there and her interaction with the officer. And then she comes home and then we see her working with these animals and that being a major part of her life as well. And it created this interesting contrast that I thought just worked so beautifully in the story, seeing her in in the modern world, you know, working her regular job and having these interactions with the outside world and then going back to this kind of you get this feeling a secluded place where she's working in more of a traditional setting caring for her animals and working with her mother and those two worlds blending is not 
always an easy thing, but you you do that really well in the story to show how many sides there are to a person and how much she's thinking about and considering as she just goes through her day-to-day life trying to process this experience that she witnessed while still carrying on with the tasks that she needs to do to help her family and care for her animals as well. Um, I just, I, I thought that contrast was fascinating as we see those two settings and her, her train of thought and her, her mental working through of what's happening and what she's experiencing, carrying that line between the two settings and, and the two worlds, really. Yeah, I think a significant part of the, the story that, that I also enjoyed writing was just this relationship between um, people and, and their livestock or just the animals that they care for because animals are such great teachers and just like the the way that they live their lives um, is always is very earnest you know like they, they don't really need to conceal anything and I just wanted to highlight that through through the livestock and especially the land that when when my characters are kind of lost they, they lean into that they lean into what can the earth um, reveal about like what they're thinking? What can animals kind of exemplify uh, about this character or how can their um, interactions with them kind of show a, a new a new pathway? I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Looking up at the time and we're already just about out of time, we, we really just barely scratched the surface. <laughs> <laughs> of everything in, in your book and in these short stories. I, I knew there's no way we'd be able to cover everything. And I, I think I still need some time to wrap my head around all of it. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to remind readers, and um, I really hope people take a minute to to stop and check this out, because it is um, widely available now from, from what I was seeing when I was uh, looking for links. Uh, the book is called The Missing Morning Star and Other Stories by Stacey Shannon Danette Sosi. And tell people where you're at with your writing and how they can find you in the book. Because um, I, I definitely would li- like to stay in contact with your future projects and, and be able to chat with you again. Yeah. So I'm working on my um, first novel. And um, it is taking place in Brigham City at the Intermountain Indian School that was was closed down like... I don't know, like over 20 years ago. Um, but it, it's just an interesting, interesting setting. Um, and I'm thinking that this this novel is going to be more horror thriller. Mm. <laughs> so kind of a departure um, from what I've, I've been writing before. And then um, as for my book tour and, and keeping connected with me, you can um, check out my website, cc.soc.com. Or you can follow me on Instagram at Darling. Wonderful. And do you happen to have the dates with you for when you'll be coming through the Four Corners area? Or is that posted on your website or Tory House where we can find those? That will be posted on um, Tory House and my website. Uh, right now we're, we're trying to think about when I'm going. Um, it is very snowy here, so yes. <laughs> with regards to the weather, <laughs> I want to be safe. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, I'd encourage readers to check as we're getting closer, um, and but just I, see I when think we're when the stops. At May, April. 
April, May. May. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So this this episode will be out before then. So readers, if you're interested in talking to Stacey and learning more about her book and her writing, definitely take a minute to go check out her book and stop by the website to find out when she'll be coming through this area. And that'll be a great opportunity, I think, to get to know you and learn a little bit more about you and your writing. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking the time, and, and I'm so glad I got a chance to read this. It was really, it, it stuck with me. It's one of those books that I think I'm going to be thinking about for a while. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. <laughs> Well, thank you again for taking the time to chat with me today. And I just, I wish you the best in your writing. And I'd love to hear from you when you're ready to talk about the next one. All right. I, I really appreciate it. Did you enjoy that podcast? We hope that you did. And if you did, share it with your friends. And if you really want to keep podcasts like this coming, please support KSJE. You can do it easily online at ksje.com.